You are now doing less with John and Jeff. Uh, and this week we're talking about the latest and greatest products hitting the market. Uh, also known as the uh, Cybertruck. Tesla Cybertruck. <laughs> <laughs> which is probably the uh, most amazing new product to ever grace uh, our presence. Yeah, 200,000 um, orders instantly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would describe this thing as uh, it looks like a car in Grand Theft Auto that hasn't finished rendering yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought when I first saw it too. It's like, it's it. I see he was going for something. Like, I see the look he was going for, but it's just not... <laughs> It's just a little bit of nothing, too much of nothing. It's almost like, what, what was this the real design? Kind of, kind of missed it yep. for me, in my opinion. It, it kind of reminds me of, uh, there's like this episode of Simpsons where Homer has like a long lost brother who's like super rich. And uh, his, his brother asks him to design the next car for him because he feels like he's out of touch with the average Joe. And then Homer designs this abomination of a car, and the guy's like, "I'm I'm ruined." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening to this and you have you're not uh, familiar with the Tesla Cybertruck, go ahead and look that up. I'll post a picture <laughs> of it in the the show notes for your reference. But uh, you probably have seen it right now. It's it's very famous, famously unveiled. Um, I think on Monday this week, or was it last week? Uh, I'm not sure. My memory fails. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it was uh, November 22nd, or so okay. it was like Friday. Yeah, okay. Right. So yeah, we're, gonna, we're just going to be talking about um, that he, Elon Musk. So for me, actually, I, I am a, generally a fan of Elon Musk. I think that some of his life is pretty admirable. I know a lot of people... Um, don't like him. A lot of people will actually hate him. Um, so some of the people that have invested in his companies, depending on when they invested, probably hate him because he's known to have some very uh, large swings in the stock price of his companies. His companies include um, included PayPal. Um, currently, it's SpaceX, SpaceX, and Tesla. Um, if you're a share owner. If you became a share owner last week and are still one this week, you're probably not <laughs> a big fan of Elon Musk because we're going to be talking about this this grand unveiling that he did of the Cybertruck that was, I think, many years in in design and, you know, getting ready for mm-hmm. the unveiling. Um, upon unveiling yeah. the, the model, the Cybertruck, it's the stock went down six percent immediately <laughs> like while he was on stage i think it was down like six percent yeah well i think that a lot of that is also due to the fact that uh while he's unveiling this thing he's like showing the various indestructibility of the thing so he has this guy come over and he's like uh oh, go ahead throw this like metal ball at the window and the guy's like you sure and then he tosses it at the thing, and it just completely <laughs> shatters. So, like... And like, then he says, like, do you want me to do it again? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, like uh, don't, don't throw it as hard as No, actually, the guy, the guy, the... I think it was the product designer, the head of product design, um, mm-hmm. 
he picks up the ball and he's like, I'm going to throw it again. And Elon Musk is like, you sure? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm going to throw it again. He throws it again and breaks it a second time. Yeah, it's actually he breaks very, another window. <laughs> uh, it's unbelievable. It's like something out of a, a sitcom. Like yeah. You think they would have been more prepared to know like this wasn't going to happen. Uh, and, you know, they came up with their various explanations of what went wrong. But at the end of the day, it's, it's very bad press to be like, look how indestructible this thing is. That's kind of the whole point of it. And then it shatters in your grand press release. Right. <laughs> and so, like, the stock dropped immediately, like John said, like 6% after what was pretty much a terrible press conference. And obviously, this isn't, like, Tesla's only source of revenue, so you know it's not going to bankrupt the company. But you know, if they they spend a lot of time and research putting into this thing, and if it doesn't sell, then that's a huge hit for them. Yeah, I have read some things, and I'm one to I'm one to believe when certain things like this happen. I'm a little bit jaded, I guess you could call me. When I when I see something like this, um, there's you know, immediately a sentiment of was this planned? Was this like a planned failure to be <laughs> like to go viral, to be like an instant hit? Um, huh. And, you know, sometimes that appeals to me. In this case, I would say, um, well, if whether whether that's what they wanted or not, I mean, this the stock went down 6%, which is not, <laughs> that is never. It's generally not what people want. I mean, that go that. Elon Musk is a major shareholder. Uh, I mean, he owns the company. He, he's a major financial stake mm-hmm. in this performance. Um, and I just think it's an overall bad look. So I, for, you know, I, I tend to not entertain that notion that this was just like a media stunt. I think that mm-hmm. Elon Musk would have rather this not happen. Because <laughs> some people <laughs> compare Elon Musk to like the real life Iron Man. And I don't think mm-hmm. Iron Man would do this. <laughs> I think this would really hurt his credibility. Like Iron Man puts on his suit and it just like explodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't think I don't think he would do that. Uh, and also, if you look at how many he holds, like something like forty million shares, and so the impact on the share price essentially was a billion. He lost a billion dollars to his net worth. Jeez. In that. Like course, but he only has twenty million dollars of net worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I mean, Tesla is one of those companies that has, like, the share price swings a lot because it's a very speculative thing in the first place. So one could argue his net worth is completely fictional <laughs> to begin with. Like, right. like there, it's just a bunch of people speculating on nonsense. Other people would disagree, and that like Tesla is the future or whatever. I don't know. I don't really have a horse in that race. I'm not invested in Tesla. But, um, you know, like 6% is not nothing, but it's also not unheard of for a company like this where they don't really have that much. I don't think they've ever had positive earnings as far as I know. Um, so essentially, if you're investing in a company that has never made money, you're essentially complete. You're just speculating that they will someday because yeah. if they never do then that what that share that you're holding is worthless <laughs> right yeah a stock price the stock price comes from the future expected cash flows from that company once you own part of a company then you receive what they are like you receive part of what they earn 
So if they don't right. earn any dollars, if you pay money for the share, if you pay money to own a share, then you're expecting them in the future to have positive cash flow to pay you back for the amount of money that you invested in the cost of the share to you. Um, so, th so something like this, if something like this were to happen where a new product they design uh, comes out unfavorably, you could say, oh, well, they've got, you know, they've already got a machine chugging. They've already got consistent earnings that I can fall back on that I'm, that I'm happy with. But when you're speculating that they're going to make money in the future on products they're currently designing and currently releasing, and then they release one with, I'm going to, you know, from my, from my perspective, you know, it's a very bad product. And from what I've read <laughs> online, you know, 90% of people agree with me at least that this is not a great product. So when you're, when you're counting on, you know, when you're speculating that the products they have and that they're going to release are going to be <laughs> maintaining cash flow for you, the investor, um, you're not happy when you, <laughs> when you see a bad <laughs> release, you want releases to go. I mean, his past releases have been great. Like he's released right. cars and that people are talking, oh, those cars are so sexy. Like, I want one. I don't want to wait for, you know, I immediately put a, <laughs> I immediately put the down payment down to reserve one. But this one, it's just like, he he was pumping the, the reserve, the reservation numbers. He's like, oh, we got 150,000 people have reserved them, 200,000. Like, it's like, he's really trying to make it seem like, oh, people <laughs> like this. Trust me, people want to buy mm -hmm. this cyber truck that we designed. Right. And, uh, I don't know the whole i guess i get the whole indestructible thing that they're really pushing but i because it's like oh rugged or whatever but it's like i don't know how indestructible do you need your car to be really <laughs> like what the heck are you gonna do with it yeah <laughs> that it's like it's like he was really pushing the whole bulletproof thing so it's like i don't know who's his target market with this really right. i don't even <laughs> yeah is it like drug lords or something i guess that's maybe a, not a terrible idea but how many of those guys are there really he wants blue collar <laughs> uh salt of the earth people that are also environmentally conscious <laughs> because you know there's so many of those out there <laughs> right yeah like every, guys who i mean basically you take a pickup truck which is one of the cooler looking cars in my opinion yeah and you just turn it into this thing that looks so stupid yeah. he said let's take the cool the arguably coolest designed vehicle in existence and let's make it not that <laughs> <laughs> and let's release that uh, yeah it, it's really just uh, i think a bad um decision i don't know where like what who was in charge of making this final say or this design or whatever but i don't know as far as i think most people are concerned this was a mistake i was thinking about it afterwards and i was thinking i mean one of the major ails that you know the ails of tesla currently is that you know they've got a good car design people want their car people want to buy it but it's just they don't produce enough like they don't produce enough mm -hmm. fast enough so it almost makes you think when they went to the drawing board for this truck that they wanted to release, I uh, I think Elon Musk <clears throat> may have said, you know, we're going to have to make, you know, we, let's make these fast. So let's make the design easy. <laughs> What's easier <laughs> than a couple flat sheets of metal? <laughs> just, 
<laughs> just bolt them together and, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Just release it. We can release many fast. <laughs> we can release those fast. And then so. now no one wants them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the irony. Right. But I think this is an important example of the profit and loss system, specifically loss, right? And so um, what we see today is the government meddling a lot in uh, both profits and losses. Um, and we think this is a way that uh, free markets basically aren't able to operate properly when you meddle in profit and loss. And so I think this new design or this new Tesla thing is a good example of just how risky it is to be in charge of a massive amount of capital, whether it be people. So like many different people had to work on this thing. Um, you know, if they already started production for these things, that's a lot of resources uh, put into producing these things. So, you know, and essentially Elon is in command of all these different resources. And so if he goes with something that no one wants, he's essentially just wasted all of those resources and all of that waste falls on him or the shareholders uh, together. And so they absorb all those losses of those mistakes. And so, yes, while having a large amount of uh, access to capital can make your profits much bigger, it can also make your losses much bigger. So there's no free lunch in the sense that people often say, oh, it's so easy to make money if you have money to begin with. Yeah, it's also easy to lose money too. If you're trying to make a lot more money, you're risking a lot more as well. And that's what balances the system is that people are scared of losing. And so they're careful. They're careful with the resources that they use. And so when you take a big risk like this design is, it's, it's a big risk. And I, I respect that Elon likes to take risks. He's kind of one of those guys who pushes the envelope. He's not afraid to lose. But, you know, sometimes you're going to lose. And I think this one's a loss, but that's an important part of the system. Yeah, um, that's a great point. It's it's one of those things I said earlier in this podcast. I think Elon, in a lot of ways, leads an admirable life. Um, and and you could say, oh, like you know, he he messed up here. Okay, let's say the Cybertruck's complete failure. They don't even produce a single vehicle. Elon <laughs> Musk is still doing fine, right? He's still got yeah. Marge, uh, which is true. You know, he's got a lot of money. He's not, he's not, uh, you know, struggling. But that's actually, that's actually an interesting story that I want to point to. Another reason that, why I think Elon's kind of lives an admirable, admirable life was once he was um, implicated with the creation of PayPal, he took his profits from PayPal when they sold the company and he invested it entirely in SpaceX and Tesla to begin those ventures he completely levered himself out with all of his earnings to the point where he reports that he had to borrow money for rent. <laughs> so he's <laughs> so at that point, I, I don't know the exact figures, but I think he was dealing with like a billion dollars at least. So he's mm. throwing out a billion dollars. Someone could look at him and say, oh, th you know, a billion dollar net worth or more. I've, I don't know the exact number, but 
it's not about like that net worth when you're completely levered out when you're actually mm -hmm. devoted like he is to 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 making ventures to making new businesses to you know trying to create value create value in, in a in a in a society in an economy um sometimes it's not as much as just looking at someone's net worth to say um you know oh wow that person is oh that person makes me sick how much money they have well <laughs> Sometimes just the just owning a company or starting a company, it you know you're at the helm of a lot of assets, which is mm -hmm. it's necessary. You have to have a lot of assets in a global. If you want to like add value at scale, you have to command large fleets of people and machines and you know assets of all sorts, capital of all sorts. Um, so when you when it when it goes down on his balance sheet as an asset like that to me that opened my eyes i was like wow being a billionaire it's not just about oh i'm a billionaire you know i'm just gonna smoke cigars <laughs> on the beach and drink mar you know margaritas all day which is definitely not what elon musk does especially no. not in this story where he levered himself out to create new ventures where he actually had to borrow money for rent that blows my mind um and I mean, if he does a good job, he should be rewarded. If he had to borrow money for rent and then both his companies, Tesla and SpaceX, you know, got shut down, went to zero, he would be, continue to borrow money. He would be in poverty. Like he would be. Right. So he took a massive <laughs> risk and he was rewarded with, you know, a 20 billion, you know, his $20 billion net worth today. But that wasn't writ, that wasn't predetermined. Right. Like that was it a wasn't lot of guaranteed. hard work from him. Yeah. Right, like when he sold uh, PayPal, he could have just retired, right? He could have just, he had earned enough on that sale to literally just do nothing ever again. He could just consume for the rest of his life, never invest, never do any, take any more risks. But, you know, he didn't want to just do nothing. He wanted to continue to like experiment and innovate, which I think, I agree, is very respectable. And it's like, just as easily as his net worth, uh, and I say easily, but I don't really mean that, but just as easily his net worth went up to 20 billion from where it was around 1 billion, it could have went back to zero and he would have had to start all over with no access to capital and figure out something else to do entirely. And so it's a huge risk when you put all of your you know, earnings into a company because that company could be worth nothing and and you to think about why that is right let's say uh you have to hire people to make your company happen you're going to agree to pay them and you're going to pay make their payroll before you figure out how much you're going to earn like as an employee you know exactly how much money you're going to get at the end of the year it's in the contract if you don't get it you can sue that person so you, it is the safest form of income you can have is like being an employee. You're guaranteed that money. Whereas the employer, they have no idea if they're going to make a good use of your time to be able to get enough revenue to cover not only your time, but make what they're doing worthwhile to, uh, to begin with and cover maybe their debts that they took out to start this thing. Uh, they're, you know, they may also need to buy like physical capital, like machines or whatever. And so if 
the business doesn't pan out and you had special capital built for that business, that stuff may not be worth as much when you try to sell it back onto the market because you specialized it for this one specific thing. So there's tons of risk that goes into um, starting a business. It's not, I think people tend to look at uh, employers like they have, you know, they have it easy. Like it's, it's so easy being an employer, but you know, you have no idea what kind of money you're going to make if it's ever going to work out. Whereas if you're the employee, it's, there's really no risk. It's like, you know, exactly how much you're going to get. And so that's, that's where the profit comes from, right? Is, is the risk that the person is taking. And so that risk of loss is why people can profit and they go hand in hand. And that's, that's what makes capitalism work. Um, but sometimes the government gets in the way and they don't allow losses to happen. And this is, the government basically always talks about getting involved with uh, bankruptcy. Um, I mean, forever now they've always said, oh, is this company too big to fail? I'm sure you probably heard that term before is too big to fail. And so what the government does is if there's a company that they think is so important that we can't go without it, they'll use taxpayer money to basically cover their debts and make sure the company can still operate. And it's like now they've stepped in and basically lowered the risk. So now people who essentially form big enough companies, they know the government's got their back potentially. And so it skews that risk reward ratio in the sense that you're less likely to lose if the government has your back and you're just more likely to win. Yeah. Um, to clarify at one point you said the government says, um, like they decide, Oh, we can't do without, um, mm -hmm. an entity we deem too big to fail. Mm -hmm. And like the, and like a reason that they would say that would be if it's a, you know, maybe a car company or if it's just mm -hmm. a large company, they would say, oh, like it employs so many thousands of people. Mm -hmm. If they were to go bankrupt, those people would be out of a job or, you know, the product. So many people rely on the product and they won't be able to get that product for, you know, a certain amount of time. So they, so uh, essentially a bailout is keep operating in the short term, you know, mm -hmm. and keep providing jobs or keep providing the product in the term in terms of a bank that's too big to fail, you know, if it was, you know, declare bankruptcy, that would be deposits, you know, people's deposits. If a bank is to, was to go under, it would have to tell everybody that put deposits in that you don't have any money anymore. It's the <laughs> government. You can see why the government would say that's a bad thing. You know, I agree that's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of, a lot of, um, times where the government wants to step in and say, no, we can't let this fail because it would be harsh and uh, a lot of bad consequences in the short term. So is that a good thing though? So <laughs> a, a lot of the sentiment I read online or, you know, I hear from figureheads and, you know, um, political personalities is that once you're once you have a lot of assets, once you're rich, once you have a high net worth, you know, it's, it's easy, you know, you're just benefiting off the expense of the, 
of society. Like all your employees or all your assets are just generating you income. Well, we've already touched on, we already kind of explained that it's not just, uh, it's not just you reach a state and then you're like, I'm good to go. You know, (laughs) it's especially when your net worth is derived from uh, companies that you own. It's like, you're still, you're still the decision maker. You're still the chief. You know, any bad decision could cause an instant 6% decline in, you know, essentially (laughs) your net worth. Right. So that's, there's high applications to that person. And that's a good thing. Like, when mm-hmm. you have that much wealth, it you, it should be hard <laughs> to maintain. <laughs> we want, as a society, we want to reward the people that are able to accrue a lot of assets and a lot of wealth. If they're able to maintain good decisions and maintain that wealth, to continue to create more wealth in, for them, which, is, which equates to more value for society, we want to reward that. And when we start talking about intervening, you know, when the government starts talking about intervening, we're all of a sudden taking those, you know, accused to be um, lazy, I guess you could call it, mm-hmm. um, you know, wealthy people and supporting them, artificially supporting them so that <laughs> they actually can be lazy. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not hard to save a company that you run. If you know that if you, if you are going to fail, the government's just going to step in and hand you a check. <laughs> Like that's exactly the opposite of, of what you want. It, it's a reverse incentive. You should be incentivized to not lose everything because then you be on the street. <laughs> but if you lose <laughs> everything and then you know you're going to get a check the next week from the government and then you're going to take that check and use that to buy another house in <laughs> in you know Las Vegas or whatever. Yeah. You know, that's the complete reverse incentive of what you want. And if you look back in 2008, which is... The most recent example of bailouts is, uh, I forget which banks got the bailouts, but not all of them got bailouts, but a few of them did. A few of the investment banks that were dealing in, they're basically taking on way too much risk. And (laughs) really, it is astonishing at how quickly these banks went bankrupt, considering their size. Like, this was no like small mistake. They were taking on massive amount of risk to go bankrupt like in a year, you know, like most bankruptcies are like a slow decline of you, you just can't figure out how to keep yourself relevant and you're, you're just, your revenue continues to fall and fall and fall. And then you realize, you know, maybe we're just not relevant an, anymore. And then you just, you go out of business like Toys R Us or Sears or whatever else. It's, it's not usually just like overnight, boom, bankrupt. Like that, if, if that happens, you're taking on some serious risks. And so those banks got all the reward of taking on those risks. And then we, as a population, shared the burden of their losses because we paid for their losses. So they got to keep all the rewards. We didn't get any share in any of those. And yet we all shared the burden of their uh, losses, which is... Like, that makes me mad. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it should make you mad, right. too. But, like, um, and not only that is, like John said, it creates bad incentives. So what they were doing was clearly, like, bad decision-making. That's what led to their bankruptcy is they were making bad decisions. And now if you say, okay, we're going to let you continue to exist, you're basically saying you're incentivizing that bad behavior to continue on. If those companies don't change hands once they go bankrupt, then you're just going to get the same people making the same bad decisions. 
And so a lot of people go, oh, they bailed them out. And then they just use that bailout money to give everyone uh, bonuses. And you're right. And that's part of the bad decision making is they're just handing out these massive bonuses and not being careful with their costs. And it's like, of course they did that with the money. It's like, because you just gave money to people who make bad decisions. Like, (laughs) there's no shock there. So it's like, you just handed irresponsible people more money to continue to be more irresponsible. And so um, I think this is a really important thing to understand is that what is bankruptcy actually? And so if a company goes bankrupt, it may cease to exist uh, in the case where it's like a Toys R Us, which is probably largely irrelevant in today's day and age. You don't really need it with other things like Amazon, Walmart that are just generally more efficient at what they were doing. It just, Toys R Us is kind of obsolete. Um, and then, but in the case of, or Kodak was another example. Kodak actually invented the digital camera, but they were making so much money on film that they never, they were just like, we don't need to bother with this digital stuff because film is just our money maker. And then they obviously went out of business. There's no more film today. And so that's an example of, you, they actually weren't even taking risks. They actually did the opposite. They took no risks. They were just like, we got this good thing going. Let's just let it keep rolling. And then they became obsolete to the competition. So like assets require active, good decision-making to keep them to continue to be profitable. It's not just the fact of, oh, if I don't take any risks, well, then I'll keep them. No, because other people can come in and compete and make you obsolete. And so we need to make sure that we're not distorting the incentives in the system. So when a company goes bankrupt, if it was obsolete, it shouldn't exist. No one wants film anymore. We all have phones in our camera, like or <laughs> cameras in our phones. And so, you know, we don't need a, we don't need film anymore. Uh, so that company shouldn't exist. And then in the other case with the banks, we still want banks. So this was just a case of bad management where they took on too much risk and that's why these banks went bankrupt and so what's going to happen is it's not that banks are going to cease to exist it's just that these particular assets are going to be divided up and sold to people who are going to make better use of them yeah you can think of um you can think of it like if you own a house if you own a house free and clear right you don't have a mortgage on it it's just your house right you could put that out on your balance sheet as like an asset. You can say, if you have a $500,000 house that's yours, right? Then you could say you're, actually let's call it a million dollar house. Let's say you own a million dollar house that's yours and you say, I'm a millionaire because this is my property, right? Congratulations, you're a millionaire. Um, you know, enjoy your house. But the thing is, a, you know, a year goes by, Oh, nice. My house is still, you know, the, actually the market went up. So I have even more than a million dollars of net worth. Sweet. You know, you know, five years goes by. Well, you know, if you haven't been keeping up with it, there's starting to be dust that accumulates on the, you know, the, the, the picture frames and you know, <laughs> the rugs starting to get all dirty and, you know, you really should vacuum. Pipes really rust. Dust, right. Ten years go by. And you haven't really, you know, replaced your filters and, you know, your HVAC is all clogged up. 
you know, mm-hmm. 20 years go by and, you know, there the cracks in your basement on the, con- you know, on the, the brick, your, your brick foundation, you never had addressed and you're, you know, it's actually, you know, sinking into the ground. Your house is like at a 20 degree angle <laughs> with the ground, <laughs> you know? It, that million dollar house if you, it's like oh man this house is a piece of crap now like I, <laughs> I can't do anything with this i can't even live in this it's about to fall over i better sell it well you're not gonna be able to sell it for a million dollars like you had a right. million dollars in assets and you didn't do anything with it you just you know you just left it and after you know call it 20 years that's probably like not even worth you know it's probably worth just the land at that point i mean this is obviously mm-hmm. exaggerated you know, depending on the actual build of the house, it may be in, you know, various states at that point with no maintenance, but it's definitely going to degrade, you know, in some, in some way. And if you, if you don't have the, the good decision making, the, um, the presence to, you know, look into the, you know, look to, to see what the, the best decisions that you could make for the house would be, um, and say, I need to start dusting. I need to adjust, you know, the structural issues of the house. You're not going to be able to, at that point, you're going to only be able to sell it for like what the land is worth. The house is like, you're going to have to demolish the house just to be able to, you know, put up something else with actual value. So it's like, that's the same as owning a business. Like if you're not, if you're not constantly, you know, hiring the right people and keep, you know, keeping up with the technology, keeping up with the market around you, all this stuff, it changes day to day. We're, we live in a world where things happen, things you know, markets are created and destroyed daily. Like that's not even an exaggeration. That is a true statement. Like in all sorts of sectors, you know, day in and day out are changing drastically. And if you're, if you own a stake in a company that, you know, has a significant impact in one of those sectors, you need to be able to change and adapt and, you know, and and maintain value and uh, make the right decisions or else that's going to, that value is just going to go away. Right. And so I think what's important to take away, though, is that there are just natural incentives baked into like a free society that guide behavior towards responsible to hit decision making. And so if you think about like results as the things that you want, Incentives are basically the direction guiding you to the results. So it's not enough just to look at the results. You have to look at the incentives as well, because the incentives are what going to carry you in the direction you want to go. And so they're naturally, if we want people to be making responsible decisions with resources, we, we shouldn't just say, okay, what are the responsible decisions? We should say, are people incentivized to make responsible decisions? And I think in reality, in a free society, they are. Just like John said, if you bought that million dollar house and then you're not responsible with it, like he, he just left the, the case where if you don't even maintain it, it's not going to be worth as much as it used to be. And so there's a financial incentive there to maintain it. Or even worse, if you just party in it all the time and freaking destroy the place, you know, it's, you're going to pay the price for that. And so... There's already incentives baked in for people to make responsible use of, uh, you know, labor, capital, everything that goes into uh, owning a business or whatever, what you have it. And so there's really no reason for the government to step in 
and change this landscape. Because all they're doing is essentially perverting those incentives. In some cases, pointing them in the wrong direction. When they, subs when they bail someone out, they're essentially pointing the incentive towards bad decision making because you know there's no chance you'll lose and only chance you'll win. So you're just going to take more risk. So it's now you, they've now pointed the incentives in actually the exact wrong direction. And so anytime the government steps in, you have to consider how is this going to impact the incentives of the system? Yeah, um, that would be like if you ran the million dollar house into the ground and it's uninhabitable and the government comes back to you and says, oh my gosh, this is a nightmare. Like, what have you done? How much is it going to cost to get this house habitable again? You say, oh, $400,000. And they say, okay, here's $400,000. Get the house back in, you know, get it ha you know, habitable again so that you can live there. And then, so what do you do? You get $400,000 and you probably don't <laughs> make any changes. You probably just do the same thing you were doing that ran the house into the state that it was uninhabitable. Like you learn nothing. You, you know, if you, if you have a million dollar house that you squandered and you can't even live there anymore and someone came in and said, it's all right, here's the money to get your, you know, get yourself back in that house. You're probably not going to make any changes. And then right. we... And then what we do as a society or what I, you know, what the trends that I kind of see forming is that we look at people with well-maintained houses and say, you know, that person had a $1 million house and now they have a $2 million house, right? They have like, mm -hmm. they added a pool, they added, you know, all sorts of, you know, art and all sorts of, you know, value adding assets. Mm -hmm. um, and now this house is really valuable take some money, you know, you have some money that you can give to the people that are, you know, that right. don't we're have actually as as that. we're penalizing that person in right. a lot of ways. We're, we're saying that per, that person um, has so much more than everyone else. I mean, it, it kind of gets diluted in the, the uh, comparison from a house, but um, you see, you kind of get the point. And the other thing I wanted to say is different about the house is if the government stepped in, the reason the government that would step in in the case of a house is not very obvious because there is, no, you know, there, you know, I mean, obviously one person living on, you know, not having a house, the government might say that's a problem. But with a business, um, the government says, oh, we can't let, you know, potentially 20, 30,000 people go unemployed, you know, because mm -hmm. of the poor decisions of the corporate board. But in actuality, mm -hmm. Like if I'm a if I'm a employee of a company that was going to go bankrupt based on a current board, I would either a want the board to change through, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes that's through bankruptcy, which is, you know, difficult, um, or b I would want to go on, you know, take my talents onto the market and see if I can, you know, take what I learned and what I know and apply that to an actually profitable organization. Like yeah, I think you I might even make more money. I would make yeah I would you know maybe learn more learn more within an environment that you know, is obviously doing well. It's not on the verge of bankruptcy. But if I'm on the ver you know, I'm working at this company. Yeah, I'm comfortable. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, I don't have to look for another job. And yeah, the numbers don't look bad. Sometimes the government just doesn't want the unemployment to go up, you know, because mm -hmm. that makes it look politically bad for, you know, the politicians. So, but at, for me as an employee in that situation, I would prefer that something change. Something changes, you know, something mm -hmm. is different because if it, if, if my company gets bailed out, then I, I have to operate on an assumption that 
I'm not in an efficient, like there's some inefficiency that's being promulgated through this bailout that I am not actually going to, I'm benefiting in the short term with the continued job, but I'm not actually benefiting in the long term because of the inefficiency. Right. And the reason I think we're bringing this up now is because I think this is going to have very political, it's going to be very politically relevant in the near future. Um, And so I think there's probably going to be another recession coming, you know, the booms don't last forever. Uh, We're in the currently the longest expansion we've ever had. Um, I personally think this next one's going to be severe. Again, that's up to debate. But, you know, maybe there might be some companies going bankrupt and maybe we won't have learned anything from the last recession and we'll try to uh, bail out some more companies. And maybe it's not even companies we're talking about. There's actually talk in the news of paying off people's student loans. And now this may not seem the same as bailing out a bankrupt company, but it kind of is at the end of the day, right? So essentially colleges have been raising their prices dramatically because people have had greater access to loans from the government because you basically guaranteed a loan. And so colleges have kept raising their prices. And so now more than ever, it has become very important to get something valuable out of college, a skill or something that's going to be able to pay off that loan because the loan is growing and growing in in size uh, since the prices are going up. So someone who goes to school and learns something that's potentially very lucrative, like um, computer science is one of the more lucrative fields you can get into, that they made a responsible decision that's going to allow them to pay off their loans. Now, if someone takes out the same amount of loans and learns a skill that's not very marketable, they're going to feel the pain of that decision. Okay, And so if we then just come in and say, all right, we're going to bail out everyone who uh, you know, has student loans, you're essentially creating an incentive for people to just take out whatever the cost of loans you know you want and then essentially taxpayer is going to cover it and you may not learn anything productive or do it maybe you just drink the whole time maybe you don't even do anything valuable the whole time you're in college and everyone's just going to bail you out at the end you know we're all going to basically subsidize what could be a bad decision and then none of us necessarily share in the gain of you basically going to school for free and drinking or whatever (laughs) yeah in the student loan bubble we i could call it um i actually don't i i mean i agree with what you're saying i I would actually point the um uh the perverse incentive i would like assign the perverse incentive less to the students because i mean when you're 18 when you're 17 it's hard for (laughs) me to blame you yeah, it's hard for me to blame you for pursuing what you're interested in. I mean, that's the only thing you know you know to do. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's important to think about your future and think about, like, what mm-hmm. I would see myself doing when you're in high school. But I can't really even blame a person who, you know, takes on multiple tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt um, to pursue what they want to do. Where I would assign uh, blame for the perverse incentive is the federal government a for stepping in and saying we're going to back these loans right because that creates 
that allows the loan, you know, the private institutions that offer loans for for uh, for for students, you know, college loans. That looks at that kid not as a computer science major potentially or you know something else. That looks at every kid the same. You know, every right. application for a student loan becomes the same in their eyes. They say it's actually an application from the federal government, and I know that the federal government, you know, isn't going to default because that would be the first mm -hmm. time in history. So, um, so it's kind of the federal government's idea of coming in and bailing out all the student loans. It's actually the federal government would be bailing out themselves because they're on the hook for all those loans. So it's like, uh, right. I it's mean, basically the government's bad decision is being bailed out by the government. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, I mean, ooh, no shock. Talk there. about, <laughs> talk about perverse incentives when you're able to bail yourself out. It's just like, <laughs> you don't have an incentive to do anything. You can do literally right. anything and you'll do, and you'll be all right. Right. I mean, I agree. Like, you know, I didn't know anything about money or debt or nothing or what was a good career or anything when I was looking at college. But, you know, people do learn, like communities will learn, like people will learn from other people's experience. Like if you hear horror stories about people, maybe even your brothers or sisters or siblings who did take out a bunch of loans and they're not, they're struggling. Like if you're going to learn something from that pain they're feeling and it's, I'm not saying it's fair that those people uh, are going to suffer, but the only way people can learn is if you have these incentives in place, right? Like, so right now you can learn a trade in like high school. You can go to like a trade school instead of high school uh, for like, like your last two years of high school. And a lot of these jobs pay a hundred thousand dollars, you know, at, by the time you graduate high school. And it's that the market is showing a clear indication that there is a low supply of skilled labor, skilled physical labor or manual labor uh, of people out there because everyone is instead going to college. And so you can take out massive amounts of loans uh, and then go make $40,000 with just, I don't know, a liberal arts degree in general. And so like there's the markets basically trying to flash warning signs at people, you know, there's a serious need for people to go into these skilled labor things because there's such a low supply, it's driving the price of their labor up. And there's such a high supply in the college thing, it's driving the price of that down. And so all it takes is people to start to recognize, okay, maybe college is not worth it at the price it's at right now. Maybe, maybe there is a point where education isn't worth it like we can everyone's like you can't put a price on an education it's like well what if it's 20 million dollars i'm not going <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know i could you can put a price on it there is a limit to what people will pay it's just we haven't really found that breaking point yet because colleges keep pushing the line because the government's there to back people up for the loans to go there and so who's really benefiting at the end of the day here is the colleges it's like the students aren't really benefiting because they're getting hammered with these loans. And then, you know, the market's not getting people in the right places uh, because instead of 
you know, people people are overeducated, so we're not getting the people we need in the right positions. And it's like, this is all, again, because of government interference messing with the incentives that are naturally occurring in a marketplace. Yeah, another shift of incentives that could occur would just be to allow the banks to, you know, uh, to have a default hurt the bank. Because if you default mm-hmm. on a loan, right, on a federally backed loan, then the federal mm-hmm. government's going to step in and say, here you go to the bank, here's your money back. Like, you never had any risk at all. That's why they're allowed to look at the students like it doesn't, you know, they don't have to even look at what major they're going to do, what kind of student they were in high school. They don't have to look at any of that. They're just going to get be guaranteed to get their money back plus interest in a right. lot of cases. Um, if you just introduce the concept of letting that, you know, student loan provider, you know, have an actual risk, <laughs> then, they'll, <laughs> then they'll start, you know, it'll be really rigorous standards to get a student loan. Right. And a lot of people will be turned off of college. Oh, some might say it's a bad thing. Well, no, Jeff was just saying there's a lot of opportunity out there, you know, for alternative path um, with which would actually in that scenario become funded by loans like that would largely um, that would open the door for so many, you know, students who say want to get a welding degree, but don't have the money. You know, that's a lot cheaper Mm -hmm. than a four year degree for other reasons that Jeff was saying about the student, the colleges are allowed to charge wherever they want. But, uh, if you want to get a welding degree and the, a bank would look at a student loan provider would look at you who wants a welding degree with more incentive to <laughs> offer you money than they would to someone who would want to get, you know, underwater basket weaving. Degree. <laughs> right. That it would, it would ha- it would literally happen overnight. If the banks were just on the hook for some risk, that oh, would yeah. that would be the end of you know free flowing student loans. The banks would start really, you know, uh, introducing discretion for who they made student loans to. Right, and th- and that again, that key here is incentives. Right now, the incentive system is completely screwed up. There's no incentive to any party involved here not to go to college, really, and so that's why this loan like if you look at actually the federal government's main asset it's student debt that's like our main uh uh our federal government's main um asset that they hold on their balance sheet so it's like it's a really sizable um uh it's like 1.5 trillion it's a really sizable amount of debt lying out there and the reality is the default rates are going up and the delinquency rates are going up. So, you know, is this really a positive thing that we're doing here? You know? Yeah. So the government, they did a lot on the front end and they were mm-hmm. able to get a lot of student loans issued. And then they want to now, they're offering to do some more on the back end and then forgive <laughs> all the student loans. Well, if only they would do less. <laughs> They don't exactly. have to do either of those things, and the market would, <laughs> you know, discover prices that would dictate what's an effective job to have, what's an effective value addings, you know, pursuit for a young person today. That's right. that's a to me that's like a disgrace that it's not allowed to happen right now. Mm-hmm. That is completely suppressed, and then the the offer to to uh, to fix that with just further intervention is just. 
It's doing too much. It's doing way <laughs> yeah. too much. The only solutions people ever seem to come up with is do more, right? So, you know, college was fine uh, like 20 years ago. Um, it was not expensive. If you look at essentially how much work you would have had to do to go to college, essentially you could have worked the summer and you could have paid your tuition off. You didn't like there was that was a thing is where people would work the summer and they would earn enough to pay their tuition for college that year. It was working your way through college. That's not like people do that now anyway, like because now the mark the labor market's so competitive that you need all this stuff on your resume to make yourself look good. But it's it's it used to actually pay for your tuition to go to school in the summer, and now it doesn't even come close. So, like. I would much rather go back to that time before the government got involved where you could pay off your tuition over the course of a summer than now where it's like you take out massive loans just to cover the cost of it. And so, you know, basically the government stepped in. People were complaining not enough people had access to college. So now more people have access, but it's way more expensive for everyone. It's If you ask me, the, it's way worse. And now... The only solution people can generally come up with is, all right, we need to do more. We need to either <laughs> bail people out or we need to make college free. It's like, where are all the people saying, wait, 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 why don't we just go back to the way it was when you could just work the summer and pay for school? Like, that wasn't so bad, you know? <laughs> right. What else? Yeah. I don't know. I think we covered a lot. That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for doing less with John and Jeff. Um, Have a good Thanksgiving. <laughs>